highest of heights to the depths of the Notice in verse 2, And then there, there they made Jesus a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. And then Mary, she takes a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the whole house was filled with the fragrance. Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. In the midst of the supper made for Jesus, Mary gave a remarkable gift to him. It wasn't unusual to wash the feet of a guest. But it was unusual to do it during the meal itself, to use very costly oil and to wipe the feet with her hair, using the hair as a kind of towel. She considered her precious ointment only good enough for his feet. To attend to the feet was the task of the most lowly slave. Thus Mary's actions denoted great humility as well as great devotion. Mary's action is a good example of what our devotion should be to our Lord Jesus. Now let's join Pastor Rob. All right. Good morning. Wasn't that time of worship just sweet? You know, and that's what we can have tonight, too. As we get back together again, we'll uh, just worship the Lord and just get lost and um, forget about ourselves. Just focus on Jesus. Let's open our Bibles this morning to John chapter 12. Last week, we, last couple of weeks actually, we've been looking at uh, the death of Lazarus and the difference between the significance of, of Jesus raising him from the grave and also the difference between Lazarus' resurrection and the resurrection that Jesus uh, happened to Jesus and also the resurrection that is awaiting all of us. And we looked at those, uh, the resurrection last week. This morning, however, we're going to be looking at Jesus as he approaches the finish line. And I titled this, message, this morning's message, Approaching the Finishing Line, but really, uh, that's just part of, of what we're going to be talking about. Uh, because this morning, we're going to be looking at Mary, uh, Lazarus' sister. She was so amazingly blown away by Jesus' love and and the fact that she raised her brother from the grave after he had been dead for four days. And just the worship that this woman had and demonstrated very clearly. We're going to be looking at that, and Lord willing, time willing, we'll look at the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem just a little less than a week before he would be crucified. So as we finish, as we continue in the Gospel of John, we're going to notice that the the chapters, uh, especially chapter 13 through chapter 20, are going to be uh, recording events that happen within uh, about three days. 
From the moment that the, the, the events leading up to Jesus' crucifixion and then the, the day, the couple of days in the tomb and then on the third day rising. And so those events in chapters 13 through 20 are really condensed. It's really speaking of that Passion Week and which we're in right now as we talk about Jesus' triumphal entry, that, that moment from when Lazarus was raised from the grave and then finally now as we get into that final week, it's going to be really interesting and the Bible has a lot to say about that because the details are so specific. And, and a lot of these things, many of them, uh, have been foretold to us in the Scriptures in the Old Testament. And so let's look at, uh, we're going to look at the first, uh, Lord willing, the first 19 verses of chapter 12. Let's just read them together. And again, this was after uh, the raising of Lazarus. It says, then six days before the Passover, and by the way, this Passover is the very last Passover that Jesus will enjoy. Um, There were three Passovers that were mentioned in the Gospel of John. This is the third one. This is the one where he will be crucified. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. And And there they made Jesus a supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. And then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped, the feet with her, wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why has this fragrant oil not been sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. And Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but with me you do not always have. And now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came not only for Jesus' sake, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But notice this. This is interesting, isn't it? (laughs) But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. So the next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, he sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead, bore witness for this reason, the people had also. Um, for this reason, the people also met him because they had heard that he had done this sign, and the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, "You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. The world has gone after him, and would to God that the world was going after him. But the the the, the days that we live in, we find that that's not really the case." Many people are choosing anything. They're, they're flocking to anything except for Christ. Now, many have come to Christ, and praise the Lord for that. But the natural man doesn't desire the things of God. It, it's, it's a miracle that any of us are here in this room, that God has reached down into our hearts and saved us. 
Would to God that the world was going after Jesus, because that's his heart. His will is that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants to see everyone come to him, because he loves those whom he created. Why would he create something and then throw it away like refuse? No, he created with the intent of having a relationship. Not that God needed the relationship, but he desires when people like you and I, volitionally of our own conscience and our own volition, we love him back in thanksgiving for what he has already done for us. In fact, the Bible says that before the foundation of the earth, Jesus was slain. The plan was already in God's heart and mind. The whole thing was already prepared, like a table, like a buffet. God knew what was going to happen. He wasn't surprised, but he was ready. And when the time was right, he spoke that seed into Mary's womb, and she bore the Son of God, God in human flesh, Jesus Christ, to take our sin upon himself and that by believing in him we might have life through him and that we might live eternally in heaven with him instead of the alternate. And yes, there is a hell. Many churches don't like to talk about that, but hey, it's true. There is a place called hell, and for those who reject Christ, they will spend an eternity in hell. That's a bitter pill, wouldn't you agree? And that's why God says, it's not my will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I need to come to repentance. I need to turn from my sin. I was born in sin. You ever notice a baby when it's born, how selfish it is and how, how crude it can be, especially if you have siblings? My, my family and I have been watching the, uh, America's Funniest Home Videos, and they show these videos of these little kids, and they're, you know, they got lollipops or ice cream, and the one kid will start to lick it, and the, the, his sibling doesn't have one, and so he looks over and he hits the ice cream, it falls all over the place, and it's, it's just baked into this, into this nature of ours. Just to do wicked things. You don't have to teach a child how to do evil things. They're naturally selfish because the sin nature is within us. That's what Jesus came to redeem. That's what he came to save us from is the effect of that because there's only one place for that, and it's not a good place. That's why he came on a rescue mission So this morning, we're going to be looking, uh, as we have read, at this event in Mary's life and in Jesus' life. And the first 11 verses really speak to this extravagant worship that Mary bestowed upon Jesus. And verses 12 through 19 are Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, fulfilling age-old prophecies, specifically Daniel 9. And Lord willing, we'll get to that if I'm not too (laughs) long-winded. Because this is a really fantastic thing we have before us this morning. I'm so excited about it. So let's get right into it. Uh, Notice in verse 1 it says, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where where Lazarus was, who had been dead. Notice, he was dead. He didn't swoon. No, he died, and he was in the grave four days. Whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Again, this Passover would be the... um, Six days prior to the Passover would be this, this time where Jesus would uh, come into Jerusalem. The six days. Notice in verse 2, And then there they made Jesus a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. 
And then Mary, she takes a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. And I love that wherever you see Mary of Bethany, wherever you see her in the scripture, you find her either worshiping Jesus or at his feet, listening intently to him. And may we take that same posture as Mary. Now, Jesus loved Martha too. Martha was a whole different personality. And do you think that God wasn't happy and pleased with her? No, he was. He was. He loved her. Mary was the busybody. Any busybodies here in the room this morning? Yes, she was a busybody, and the Lord loved her too. She's in glory. But Mary loved Jesus, and she was just like, you know what? I'll let my sister tend to the dishes and make the cooking. I'm going to sit at his feet. I want to hear everything he's got to tell me. I'm going to pull out my iPod or my iPhone, and I'm going to record him. I'm going to record him, and then when I'm at night, when I'm laying and I'm getting ready to go to bed, I'm going to listen to his words again and let it soothe my soul. Wouldn't that be something? To have a recording of Jesus' words, literally. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, it's recorded for us in, in Scripture, but to hear his voice. What was his voice like? Have you thought about that? To just actually hear his inflections and the compassion, the love, and the depth in his voice. And it would probably just kill us in a good way. I love that, though. This anointing at Bethany is recorded in three different gospel accounts, in Matthew, in Mark, and in, in John. But we're looking at this one in John. And Matthew's gospel, actually, of this same exact account, tells us that this event took place in the house of Simon the Tanner. Um, John doesn't tell us that, but Matthew's gospel does. Remember that the gospels are... are um, are a conglomerate of Jesus' life. In fact, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we, we call them the synoptic gospels because they cover similar events in Jesus' life. But John's gospel was written after those three had already been written, and John cherry-picked certain things out of the life of Jesus, compiled them into a book but led by the Spirit of God to show and to prove that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by having our faith in him we might be saved, that we might have life in his name. That was John's purpose. So John doesn't tell us exactly where it was, but the other Gospels do, Matthew and, and Luke especially. And it says to us in Matthew 26 that, and when Jesus was in Bethany of the house of Simon the leper, so we know that that's where he was. He wasn't in Lazarus's house. For some reason, they were at another house. But this event here in John chapter 12 is not to be confused with an, an, another event that has very similar details and it's the event in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. It's, it's similar to what Mary did, but it's worth looking at for the context of what we're going to be talking about today. So I'm going to read to you. You can write this script reference down, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to read it to you because it'll make sense once we do. In Luke's gospel, uh, chapter 7, verse 36, it says, Then one of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house, we know because this is a Pharisee's house, not Simon the Tanner's house, two separate events. And he sat down to eat, and behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, probably a, a prostitute. 
She comes, and when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and she stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet, anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he spoke within himself, saying, This man, if, if he were a prophet, he would know what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. Of course, the Pharisee wasn't. He was perfect. <laughs> and Jesus answered and said unto him, knowing his thoughts, he said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Teacher, say it. He said, There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when he had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who he forgave more. And he said to him, you've rightly judged. And then he turned to the woman. And now think of this in your head. I, when, I, when I read the Bible, I like to actually think about who's in front of Jesus, who is he speaking to. So he's talking to Simon, but then he looks at Mary. Or he looks at this woman. I'm sorry, not Mary. This is a different lady. He looks at her. He says, do you see this woman, Simon? And he looks at the woman. I've entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. She gave, you gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since I came in. And you did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom much, to whom little is forgiven? The same loves little. The same loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those at the table with him began to say with themselves, who is this that can forgive sins? Uh, it's God. I don't know if you guys got the text message. It's God. Only God can forgive sins. And yes, God is there with them. The Logos, become flesh. The Word become flesh. Sitting there with them. Now notice that this passage in Luke and the passage that we just read in John chapter 12 this morning, that both of these ladies are expressing their worship in extravagant ways. Extravagant ways. This anointing oil that was used was very, very costly. Very costly. And the woman in Luke 7, she was a sinner. She had been forgiven much. And Mary, in John chapter 12 this morning, uh, for, for, she was very thankful because Jesus has raised her brother Lazarus from the dead. And it's probable that he was their provider as well, Mary and Martha. It makes no mention of her parents, their parents at all. Their parents probably have died, and now Lazarus is the breadwinner in the family. He's the one supporting his two sisters. And you can imagine how thankful this lady is to know that her brother's been raised. And she takes that ointment and anoints him. Very costly. Notice that Mary's worship was not convenient. It wasn't chintzy. Rather, it was costly. It was extravagant. This spikenard that, is, that she poured over him is a, an East Indian plant which yields a juice or a, 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 a juice which the ancients used, and sometimes they mixed it with other things, but it was a, a very precious, precious ointment. And can I tell you this morning that at the heart of worship, at the heart of worship, true worship of God is sacrifice. 
at the heart of true worship is sacrifice. If my worship becomes rote, if it becomes convenient, it may not be worship at all. It may be worship, but it also may not. The quality of my worship may be beggarly and poor. And God will, can receive you know, anything, but you know what? The, the heart of worship is sacrifice. Never forget that, folks. And I had to ask myself this week, what is the quality of my worship? And I'm not just talking about my singing to God. The quality of my worship, what, what have I sacrificed to God? He doesn't require me to, to, to die in, in, in the physical sense. He wants us to live. He wants to be us a living sacrifice. But what is my worship really like? Is there anything that I sacrifice to God any longer? Or has my worship become so convenient, it's just writing a check, and it's very convenient. It's, in fact, I'll write my check after all my bills are paid. I write that. And then, I, um, after, and then whatever I haven't spent on myself, I give to the Lord. But, or, or is my worship, and it's not all about money either. God doesn't care about our money, but it is a good indicator of where our heart, heart is at. And what about our life, the, the things that we do with our life? Are we giving our life, uh, is our life devoted to Him? We'll do anything for Him, or is our life just about... Getting a job and getting married and having kids, and then, and then after our kids move out of the house, we move down to Florida and play golf. Is that what our life is about? Or is there a sacrifice? What is the quality of my worship? And remember that worship is about Jesus. It's for Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's to Jesus And we can certainly be blessed in our worship of Jesus Christ, but remember, it is about Him. It is not about us. It's not about me feeling good about worship. It's not that at all. I've seen the three young women who lead worship here at the church go through some very difficult physical, spiritual, emotional duress, and they still get up on this platform every week and they lead us in worship. That's an amazing thing. And I know that all too well myself because there are times when I, never, when I don't feel like worshiping and I worship him regardless of how I'm feeling. See, we, we live in a, a culture that is all about feelings. I don't fe- if I don't feel it, then I'm not going to do it. And God says, well, would you do it if you didn't feel it? Because <laughs> that's where worship begins is when you do it because of the one who is worthy to receive We do it not because of how we feel, folks. We have to get away from this idea that worship is, if if I don't feel good, then I didn't worship. No, sometimes you may not feel good at all. And God says, that's the best worship I've ever seen out of your life. When you were at the very pit, and instead of just cashing in your chips and saying, I'm done, no, you worship me because you you weren't feeling that great, because your circumstances were horrible, and yet you worship me. God looks upon that and says, that's sweet worship. That's like a sweet fragrance coming before me because it's a sacrifice of praise. It's a sacrifice of praise. In Hebrews, it tells this. The author says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also noticed that this, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, he suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp. Notice this, America. 
Let us go forth to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. What? Bearing his... That's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.